Hey, I'm Ferdinand, and thanks for checking out the message today. We're glad that you're here, and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way you can do that is to text RiverConnect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. For our veterans, obviously Veterans Day uh, being this last week, we just want to honor you and thank you for your service. I, I don't normally do this, but if you served in any branch of military, if you could just take a minute, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but if you would just stand so we can honor you and thank you for your service. Just a, a huge gratitude to these men and women who served uh, for our country. Go ahead and have a seat. Thanks for being, being here this morning. Uh, we recognize the, the service and the, the work that you have done in that aspect. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to, um, if you will, Matthew chapter 6. We have been in our series the Sermon on the Mount, walking through Jesus' teaching. Before we get into it, I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you like to watch the Super Bowl commercials? Like you don't really care about the game so much, but you, you are cued in when it comes commercial time, right? Like you, could, you, you don't know what team's playing, but when it's commercial time, you're watching those commercials. That's me. I, I love com- the Super Bowl commercials. Some are good. Some are not so good. And you can critique, and it's a whole thing to just watch the Super Bowl commercials. Well, in 2011, there was a fantastic commercial that was played. And it was for a product, and this actually was one of the first commercials that relaunched their product, right? And it became, uh, there's a lot of different things afterwards that they, they made commercials for and advertisements for. But the one that really kind of stuck in my mind was this scene that plays out. There are these young college athletes playing football in a park probably, and it had probably rained because there's mud puddles in the, in the kind of like the backyard football game, right? And so the, the hike is given, and they're getting ready to throw it, and they're in the midst of these young college athletes is a sweet old lady confused walking around, not sure where to go or what to do. There's even a scene where this sweet old lady is tackled to the ground and is covered in mud, and you're like, what in the world? Of course, this nice old lady is Betty White, and she walks into the huddle, and there's a banter between the quarterback and her about, like, hey, man, get, get, it, get your head in the game. And, of course, uh, I think it's, it's Betty White's sideline. A lady comes in, gives them a Snickers bar. She eats it, and then, of course, she turns into this young athletic man who's back in the game again, right? And the slogan is this. The commercials for Snickers is, you're not you when you're hungry, right? And from there launched a whole different series of commercials uh, really illustrating that fact that when you're hungry, you eat a Snickers bar and you will be satisfied. That's their slogan. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. Well, today we're going to walk through the subject of fasting, right? What it, what it means and how it can be important for us as believers. And there's a lot of correlation, really, as we understand biblical fasting to that commercial. See, the reality is, when we speak of it in the physical terms, sure, Snickers might be the answer. But when it comes to spiritual terms, Jesus is trying to walk us through some understanding that is very important. In other words, if you end up starving yourself spiritually— you're really not 
the version of you God wants you to be. You're not you when you're spiritually hungry. And recognizing where we are to go when we are spiritually starving or hungering after God, we have to recognize the slogan that Snickers used is also correlatable in spiritual sense. While while Snickers might satisfy your hunger immediately, we could also say very clearly in the spiritual sense, God satisfies, period, for all the things in our life that matter. And so we're going to walk through this subject in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse, uh, I believe it's 16, verse 16. This is really where we're going to start looking at what Jesus teaches in these short few verses uh, about what fasting might do for us, what it might mean for us, and really how we apply it to our lives as believers seeking after him, knowing that he, in fact, is the one that satisfies So let's read Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. He says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have, in fact, received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will, in fact, reward you. One of the things we've seen in the prior weeks as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount is this language that Jesus uses here. It's actually similar in correlation to two other aspects of our, our walk as believers that we, we need to pay attention to. In chapter 6, verse 2, Jesus talks about giving to the poor or almsgiving. And he uses the very same verbiage and language here. He says in verse 2, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. So in our aspect of giving, Jesus uses the same similar language. Also, when it comes to prayer in verse 5 of chapter 6, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And of course, the response to that is truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And so we see these three elements of conduct, Christian conduct, that are laid out by Jesus for us to understand and apply to our life. I love how Martin Lord Jones does it. He explains it in this, in this capacity as he's walking through these three elements here. He says the first aspect, if I can just, in his commentary on this, the first aspect, the aspect of almsgiving or giving to the, to the poor, he says, is an aspect of our conduct in our lives that we can do good to others. Then as it concerns the aspect of prayer, he says, this is an aspect of how we conduct ourselves in our relationship with God. And then when it comes to fasting, he says, this deals with and is presenting the question of personal discipline in our spiritual life. Some of the ways he says it is like this, much more simpler terms. I have contact with men and women. That is how we give to other people, our, in, in, in our conduct when it is related to other people. I have contact with God, this aspect of prayer, 
and how it affects our relationship with God. And when it comes to fasting, he uses these terms. I have contact with myself and how internally and how we deal with ourself in this aspect of fasting in our relationship with God. Another way to might say it is Jesus is teaching us how I deal with others, how I deal with God, and how I deal with myself. And this is an interesting dynamic to walk through as we walk through and try to understand what Jesus is teaching us when it comes to fasting. Let's just be real. Fasting isn't one of those things we've really taught well in the church. We can just acknowledge that right up in the front. We, there's a lot that's misunderstood in regards to fasting. So before we actually get into and dive into this aspect of fasting, what it means for us, how we are to apply it in our lives, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll dive into it from there. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that you would lead me in your spirit. Lord, help me to articulate your passage, your words in a way that is honorable and meaningful to you. Lord, help us individuals hear you. Have the Spirit move in us and help us see things that we need to see, Lord, that your Spirit will guide us in. We ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right. So one of the questions as we, we walk through this, as we consider the subject of fasting, is what in fact is fasting? Now listen, if you Google fasting, you're going to get bombarded with a whole plethora of information. Let me just share some of the things I learned. I didn't even know this until I looked this up. Apparently, and when it comes to fasting, there are a majority, there's a lot of different kinds of fasting. A TRF, you know what that is? Have you ever heard of that? I didn't hear of it before. This is a, what they call a time-restricted fasting. You, you pick a period of anywhere between 3 to 12 hours in a day in which you will eat and then fast for the remainder till that next time the next day. This is a TRF or a time-restricted fasting. They have a, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, a circadian fast, which means you're eating a lot of your calories at the beginning and as you wane towards the end of the day, you stop eating until the next period in the next day. It kind of follows the rhythmic cycles of the sun and the moon apparently. Another version of fasting is what they call a 16-8 ratio fasting. You fast for 16 hours, and then you consume all the calories you will need or desire within an eight-hour period. I can get along with that. I think I could do that. An ADF fasting, which is an alternate day fasting, which means you're eating one day and fasting the whole next day. That's another type of fasting. And you have uh, different hour fasts, anywhere from a 12-hour to a 36-hour fast, where you just don't eat anything or consume any calories within a certain period of time from 12 hours, 24 hours, to 36 hours. It's a lot involved in fasting. A 5-2 fast. This is, this is a periodic fast that you eat normally for five days, then you follow some version of a fast for the next two days. So you set up your, your cycles according to that. So it's within a week. You eat for five days and then you have some kind of a, a fast for the two remaining days in the week. There's a thing called the dirty fast. You ever heard of this before? This is weird. I was like, whoa, what is this? A dirty fast, there's really no set definition of a dirty fast. It basically means you have some form of calories during a designated fast. So it's like fasting, but you're cheating on the fast. It's a dirty fast, I guess. That's what they call it. 
It's incredible. So as you start to look at Google and you start to research fasting, you find out real quickly there's a whole different idea of what fasting is to the world. And as you start to examine why people walk through these fastings, you see that there are a lot of benefits that they are claimed to be attached to these. Most of that being, you know, for, for diet purposes, losing weight. That's one of the biggest reasons people go on a fast. But there are some other reasons, other health reasons. I was looking at some of the reasons people go on a fast. Apparently, it can help brain health. That's a thing. Uh, it can help with diabetic issues, diabetic health. This helps. There's a metabolic health that it can uh, help you with. It helps reduce inflammation. It can help reduce blood pressure. Now, I am not any kind of a medical person, but this was written several times, so I put it in here. It helps reduce blood lipid levels. I have no idea what that means. But apparently, this is an aspect of fasting. It can help improve your sleep. Uh, it is often used in a physical exercise routine for bodybuilders because it helps apparently retain muscle. So you look at this and you start researching fasting. You're like, well, what in the world is Jesus speaking about fasting for in here? Well, what's the correlation? Why is Jesus telling us? What is, in fact, biblical fasting? As we walk through this, one of the things I can tell you for certain that it is not. And I think if I identify what it is not, it'll be much easier to walk through what it is. Let me, let me share with you four things that I have identified biblical fasting is not. First, it is not a popular fad you keep up with in order to do the next Christian thing. It's not a fad not something you do to try to keep up with the next biblical Christian thing to do. Oftentimes we see this fad in the world as a fad, or this fasting is a fad. It's used as a, a method to, to the next health option. It is, not, it is not a fad you do to keep up with the next popular Christian thing. That's not what it is. It's not Listen to this. It's not a diet plan for making you more attractive to God. It's important to hear that. Fasting is not a diet plan that makes you more attractive to God. That, that's not what it is. Though there may be some physical benefits in walking through fast, God is not, and Jesus is not instructing us to walk through fast so we become more attractive to him. It's not what fasting is. It is not a fitness program that makes you able to keep up with the physical demands of pursuing God. You hear what I said there? It says it's not a physical fitness program that makes you able to keep up with the demands of pursuing God. Though there may be, in, in fact, some you might feel better, you might feel more energetic and all of these things. This is not biblical fasting. You don't do those things so that you are able to keep up with God's demands. That's not what fasting is. I'm going to say this, and this may offend some people, and I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feeling. It's not another step in our self-help Christianity or Christian fitness process for our genie bottle prayers to be answered. Let me say that again because there was a lot packed into that phrase. It's not another step in our self-help Christian fitness process for our genie bottle prayers to be answered. What am I saying when I say that? 
What fasting is not is another step in the process of praying where, man, my normal prayers didn't answer, so now I'll fast, and that will make my genie come out and answer my prayers for me. It's not what fasting is. We don't walk through those things as the elements to why we fast. So what does biblical fasting look like? I have a definition as I've studied this that I think makes a lot of sense for me. It goes like this. Fasting is the denying of the physical to seek the spiritual. It is rooted in hungering and thirsting after the spiritual in the same manner we do the physical. We are depriving the physical need to emphasize the spiritual need. Let me walk through that again. It's really simple. Fasting is the denying of the physical to seek the spiritual. As we go back to that commercial, we recognize, all of us do, the reason that commercial was so popular is because we understand what happens to us when we're hungry or when we're thirsty. It becomes the priority. When you're hungry, you can't think of anything else. You can't play a football game. You can't focus on the drive you're in. You turn into some kind of a diva. It doesn't matter what you're doing. When you're hungry, your mind focuses, hey, man, I'm really hungry. I got to get something in my stomach. You get weak. You get faint. I gotta, if you're thirsty, it's the same thing. Oh, man, I need something to drink. And physically, we often recognize that when we're hungry or when we're thirsty, we need to deal with it, and we need to deal with it right away. This is the natural human response to hunger and thirst. When we walk through fasting, what Jesus is trying to point us to is a spiritual aspect of do we hunger and thirst after God in a spiritual manner the same way we would pursue and, and seek and find our physical nourishment? Do we actually look to God to satisfy the things in our life that we need God to satisfy. So how does God satisfy? This is a question as I was walking through this. How does God satisfy? There are many ways that I see that God satisfies. In fact, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, Jesus even says this in verse uh, 6 of chapter 5, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Jesus is teaching this aspect of where we actually get our satisfaction from. So how does God satisfy? I'm going to walk you through. There are many Old Testament passages that teach on fasting, that illustrate fasting. I'm going to share the story with you, but there's a profound amount of texts in the book of Psalms. So I want to share the story that's in the Old Testament and I'm going to read a Psalms that closely correlates to that text. And I want you to see that even in the Psalms, they sang about the things that how God satisfied. So one of the first things we see that when God satisfies, we, he satisfies us when we sin. When we sin, how do we deal with our sin? God gives us an answer, a, a satisfactory answer that actually deals with the problem of sin. We see this laid out when Moses 
Many of you might be familiar with this. After they had come out of Egypt and Moses was in Mount Sinai, he came down and there was rebellion happening in the camp. Moses took those tablets, broke them. Well, he was required to go back up into the mountain with the Lord. And during that period, he fasted. Forty days and forty nights, I believe it is recorded. Another example of this, we, so we, Moses is fasting or interceding on behalf of the rebellious nation of Israel, those people who had rebelled against God. Another illustration in the Old Testament that closely correlates to this is when Jonah went to the people of Nineveh. When Jonah came and preached the gospel, the good news of who Jesus Christ was, the redemption, the satisfactory answer of turning away from their wicked ways and turning to the Lord, the people of Nineveh fasted in repentance. And so the text that I'm going to read in Psalms, that closely as you think about these two Old Testament passages, I want you to consider this this passage in Psalms. Psalms 107, beginning in verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. They loathed it. See, they were walking through their sin, and their response in recognition to their sin was, I'm in trouble. It doesn't matter what food I eat. I'm in trouble. I am in desperate trouble. I am walking towards death itself. And as he continues in verse 19, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. They prayed. They went to the Lord in the midst of their fasting. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Verse 20, he sent out his word. And if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We know the Word is speaking of Jesus Christ. And so God sent out His Word, His Son, and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Notice it doesn't just identify a particular group of the children of men. This is for all men, all humanity. This aspect, how God satisfies even when we sin. We recognize that this is an important aspect that we need to walk through and understand. How else does God satisfy? He satisfies when we mourn or we are walking through sorrow, grief. We see this illustrated in many places. The one that's most obvious is when David and his child was sick. David began fasting and praying and worshiping the Lord. His son, his child was sick and he was pleading with the Lord and walking through the grief of losing a child. I mean, sorrow, deep, deep sorrow. And his response was, I'm going to go to where I know I can be satisfied. Psalms 109, verses 21 says this, But you, O my Lord, deal on my behalf for your namesake. Because your steadfast love is good, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. 
Man, when I consider the grief and sorrow and pain that someone goes through when it's dealing with loss, whether it's a child or it's an adult or it's a father or a mother, that phrase in there really sticks hard to me. Their heart is stricken within them. It hurts. There's pain. It's heavy. In the moments of grief, where do we go to look for satisfaction? As David continues, verse 23, I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. Sometimes that's what it feels like when you're carrying grief. You can't even get up in the morning. You're weak. You're exhausted. But where do you go to find satisfaction? As he continues in this, my knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt with no fat. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. Here's the answer. Where do you go? Where did David go to seek for satisfaction? Help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. See, God satisfies even in the heaviest and the hardest of situations. How else does God satisfy? Well, he satisfies when we need direction in our life. (laughs) When we're trying to figure out where to go and we're all turned around and we're lost. The example of this in the Old Testament, there's several, but I'm just going to pick one, is the example of Nehemiah. You might also think of Esther. If you're familiar with that story, Esther has to walk before the king to make a decision on behalf of the people of Israel, pleading for the people of Israel. And what she does is she asks the nation, as well as herself and her maidens, that they are going to fast in seeking God's direction. Nehemiah is the same way. When when Nehemiah hears the circumstances of what's happening to the remnant in Jerusalem, he immediately falls down and begins mourning and fasting. Seeking God's direction on how to to save or help the people of Israel. And later we know in the story of Nehemiah, he goes to the king and requests money or finances to rebuild this this wall of Jerusalem. And that's a scary thing because Nehemiah is a foreigner in the king's palace. And he's going to go ask the king for a whole lot of money to fix Jerusalem. Scary moments, directions in life. How do we seek God when we need direction? How, do we, how does God satisfy us when we are seeking his direction? Psalms 34 verses 1 through 10 says this, I will bless the Lord at all times, in good times and in bad times. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. There it is in moments of trial, in moments of trying to find direction in life. I sought the Lord. I went after him and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Think of the story of Esther. Think of the story of Nehemiah when they're seeking his direction. I mean, it... It was against the law for the queen to enter the king's chambers. It was potentially a death sentence for her. There's a lot of fear in making that decision. It requires her to go to the place in the moment of trials and trying to figure out what direction to go, to go to the one who satisfies that answer. 
as this passage continues, verse 5, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encompasses around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, when we're talking about fasting, we so often think about the physical. And we very rarely focus on what God is actually teaching us, what actually satisfies, what actually nourishes us, what actually gives us the sustenance and substance that we need, who is, in fact, God. How else does God satisfy when we need protection? And sometimes we walk through things that are very difficult in life. I mean, we just honored the veterans. Many men were facing difficult and fearful circumstances, requiring protection. The Old Testament stories that correlate with this is King Darius. You may not know who he is. He's the guy that threw Daniel in the lion's den. He was deceived by wicked uh, advisors he had, and so because of the deception he walked in, his very close friend, Daniel, was required to go into the lion's den. You know what King Darius did the night that Daniel was in the lion's den? He fasted and prayed for the protection of Daniel. Psalm 69, verses 10 through 18. When I wept and humbled my soul... With fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth as my clothing, I became a byword to them. I can just imagine King Darius as he's walking through this aspect of fasting, requiring or requesting the Lord to protect Daniel. How the naysayers in his kingdom would have been mocking him and ridiculing him. says in verse 12, I am the talk of those who sit in the gate and the drunkards make songs about me. But where was King Darius seeking satisfaction for protection? But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Further down in verse 16, he says, Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. And the verses just before that speaks of, of all the, the calamities, if you will, that can approach a person. It speaks of the pit's mouth closing over me. It's speaking of, of, we'll just read it, verse 14. Deliver me from sinking in the mire, in the pit. Let me be delivered from any enemy and from the deep waters, speaking of death itself as it overcomes and can overcome an individual. God's protection and fasting was a key element in that aspect of King Darius' request. Obviously, Daniel played a part in that as well in his own petitions to the Lord and really the plan of the Lord ultimately. But we see how does God satisfy? The other aspects that we see that God satisfies is when we are and truly are physically and spiritually hungry. And for this passage, I think of Jesus himself. When he was physically hungry and spiritually hungering after God in the wilderness. When he went for 40 days and 40 nights without food and water. And of course, we know the story there. The devil comes to him when he is physically weak and tries to tempt him. 
This is just before Jesus is launching, if you will, his ministry for those three, three and a half years. Jesus was seeking God in his fasting. Psalm 63.1, I think, does a great job in illustrating what Jesus may have felt or even may have thought of as he was in the wilderness. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life itself. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied. As with fat and rich foods, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. You see, when we talk about fasting, it's not so much as, as about the physical food and water that we drink. Biblical fasting is this idea of denying the physical and pursuing the spiritual. In all these examples that we've walked through, even in the Old Testament, even in the Psalms, we see the priority. Who, in fact, are they seeking to satisfy their need? And every single time, in every single instance, it points to God. It points to God. And so the following question that soon follows this is, is when, we, when we understand, hey, Scripture teaches emphatically where we are to go to get the satisfaction of our soul. It is, in fact, God. The next question that comes to my mind is, how desperately do we actually seek after God? How desperately are we actually seeking God in our life? If we miss a meal, we start to get hungry. I'm not trying to minimize anybody's situation, but for the most part in America, it's really not hard to go get food. If you're hungry or thirsty, you can figure out to some degree how to sustain yourself and you can have it fairly quickly. As a, as a general rule in America, we are a very blessed people in this capacity. But when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to the spiritual, the, the desperately seeking of God, man, I'm so hungry for the things of God. I'm so hungry for his righteousness in my life. I'm so hungry for his holiness in my life. Do we actually treat it in the same way we would treat our physical hunger? Ouch. The, the direction, his will in our life. Do we hunger after knowing what is pleasing to God, what is his favor in our life? And we're willing to give up, if you will, just a little bit of physical nourishment to understand and go after the spiritual nourishment of who God is in our life. That's a tough one, even for me. 
Like I'm looking at that and I go, oh man, so often when I'm hungry, I go grab a cheeseburger. But when I'm spiritually hungry or spiritually starving, is my first response to go to the Lord and seek him and go after him who satisfies? Do we actually hunger after the things of God? Do we hunger after his favor? Do we ourselves desperately desire his will in our life or his favor in our life more than we would desire a cheeseburger or a glass of water? Proverbs 8, 32 through 36 says this, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me when we're looking for his will, his favor, and his life. Are we listening to God, watching daily at my gates, waiting, dis, uh, waiting beside my doors? For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor. Are we looking for God's favor in our life? Do we diligently, desperately hunger after it? Do we desperately hunger after his presence in our lives? Do we hunger after his presence? Do we, do we desire God's presence the same way we desire our next meal? Do we desire his presence in the same way, after you run a mile or two miles or whatever length you can run and your, your thirst is quenching and you need a drink of water, do we, do we thirst after God's presence in the same way? Do we hunger and thirst after his presence in our life? Like, hey, God, I, I, I can't do this without you. I need you. I need your presence in my life in every single aspect of my life whether it's dealing with grief and sorrow, whether it's dealing with uncertainty or anxiety, whether it's dealing with sin, every single element, Lord, I need you in my life. I'm hungering and thirsting and desperately seeking after you. I need you. Do we seek after his holiness, walking in repentance? Do we seek after it? Do we diligently pursue it? Joel, when, when in the book of Joel, this is not a common book that a lot of pastors preach from, but Israel is repenting or, or walking through repentance. In Joel, in Joel chapter 2, verses 12, he says this, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend or tear your hearts, not your garments. This aspect of putting on a show for other people. You're not tearing, you're not, you're not making yourself look humble for the purpose of other people. You're tearing your heart, you're rendering your heart because you're walking in genuine, true humility before a holy, righteous God. Render your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding again in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Psalms 30 verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Do we desperately seek after God? Are we seeking him as our satisfaction in our life? For whatever area in our life that we're walking through, are we seeking after him? 
Are we seeking after the healing power of God in our life? If you came here today and you're like, man, you're talking about fasting. I don't even know who God is. Well, let me tell you, you don't know who Jesus is. That's where it starts. You have a huge hole in your heart where maybe you're trying to fill it with all kinds of things. It can be substance. It can be different addictions. It can be, you know, pick, pick something. You know what it is in your life. You're trying to fill a giant hole in your heart with something else. It could be money. It could be your career. If it ain't Jesus in that hole, it's not going to get filled. It's not going to satisfy. There are many people that can testify to that. So if you don't know Jesus, I want to encourage you, the very first part you look for satisfaction is in the person of Jesus in salvation knowing who he is, working on that relationship and developing it. But there are other avenues in our life where I want to challenge you, the church, are we seeking after God's healing power, first and foremost in ourself, that's the gospel in our relationship with Jesus, but are we seeking God's healing power in our families, in our marriages, in our community, in our churches. You know, when you walk through this aspect of fasting and you look at the examples laid out both by Nehemiah and Daniel, when they recognized their nation, if you will, in trouble, they went to the only person that could satisfy their concerns. They went to God. And they did it in prayer and fasting and worship. Now, I want you to understand and think through this. These are one people of a nation. One man made a huge difference in the entire nation of Israel, in the person of Daniel as well as in the person of Nehemiah. When it comes to our marriages, our families, our communities, our church, do we believe that when we go to the Lord in prayer and fasting that we can make a difference You see, when we walk through this element of seeking God's healing, what we're really trying to tell God when we walk through this aspect of fasting in our life, we're saying to God, God, I am more hungry for you to work in my life, in my family's life, in my marriage, in my kid's life. I'm more hungry for you to do something than I am for food. Wow. We're trying to tell God how serious the spiritual matters way more than the physical. We are desperately calling out to him in moments of needing direction, in moments of dealing with sin, in moments of crisis where we need protection. We're recognizing, man, there's only one person, one being that satisfies, and that's God. Matthew 5, 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And when you walk through fasting and when you really look at what Jesus is teaching us as he's walking us through these these elements of conduct that we, the church, deal with. It doesn't say if you fast. It says when you fast. Just like it says when you give or when you pray. This is an element in our life that we have to take serious. And what we're really walking through is not whether or not we uh, abstain from a certain amount of food for a certain amount of time so much as it is our internal spiritual desire to hunger and thirst after the things of God. What priority does that take in our life? 
Maybe you're the one here that will save and, and change the way your family dynamics occur because you are seeking the one who satisfies. And you go to him and you plead to him and you're, you're willing to walk through just a little bit. And I know everybody's health conditions, I want to put this caveat in there, our health conditions dictate what we can and can't do when it comes to fasting. But when we walk through fasting, are we really seeking and pursuing God and seeking his satisfaction in our life and purpose in our life? Do we hunger after that? Or is it really a byproduct after a circumstance occurs? Then we go. So we walk through this and we look at those who hunger and thirst after God, his righteousness, his purpose, his holiness, his will. We recognize that there's only one person, one being, who satisfies. So if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I want to point you to who Jesus is. Maybe you've been searching your whole life. You've tried everything that the world's offered. And every single opportunity the world's played out, you've walked in it. But if you do not know Jesus and the satisfaction that he brings to your life, I've walked through it in my own life, chasing everything in the world but Jesus. And there's nothing like the satisfaction of Jesus. I want you to know who he is in your life. It's very simple. Just call out to him. Engage the conversation. Start the dialogue. That can be a desperate cry of, Lord, I need help. Please help me. That's step one. For the church, for those of you who have this relationship with God, Man, I want, I want you to recognize where we are to go as believers in any circumstance in our life. Whether we're dealing with sin as believers in our life, there's only one place we can go to to deal with it. To deal with it in a satisfactory manner. And that is Jesus and God. When we're looking for direction in our life, there's only one place to go that you're going to really truly get the, the wisdom and the counsel that satisfies. That's God. When you're dealing with circumstances in your life that you're, you're anxious about, you're worried about, it could be fear, it could be attacks from the enemy, there's only one place to go to that will really protect you and, and keep you and satisfy that, that inner worry in your heart, and that's God. We have this method where we can go to where Jesus lays out in Scripture, and it's, it's very heavily written in Scripture, this aspect of fasting. What I believe Jesus is teaching us is that, as the Snickers commercial goes, when we're starving spiritually, we're not what we're meant to be. And there's really only one answer to filling and satisfying that spiritual hunger, and that's God. God satisfies. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this morning for this time that we have, Lord, to really open your word and examine it in our own life. Lord, I just pray for every single person here, people watching online, Lord. Lord, if they do not know you, if they are wandering, starving, seeking how to find the proper satisfactory nourishment, the spiritual nourishment, Lord, I pray that in some miraculous way you would show up in their life, whether it's just them opening your word and being filled through the words that you have written down for us. 
or whether it's through another believer that points them to you and their word, in your word. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody that is desperately seeking after you, that we would be able to see them come know you. Lord, for us as believers, I just pray, Lord, that we would desperately seek after you, that we would hunger after you, that we would, we would desire nothing more in life but to know and, and understand what you have laid out for us in our lives, your will, your favor, your holiness. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.